0: What we usually do every week is also dip into how things are moving in the the world of COVID-19. We weren't able to do that earlier on in the week because we had so much else to catch up on. But we do have our regular guest, uh, which is uh, our our expert on the virus itself, Professor Bertram Fielding, who's going to be taking your call. So you can start dialing in now. It's 891 207 And the breaking news this week is that South Africa is going to be managing vaccine trials, COVID-19 vaccine trials. Um, they're going to be working alongside Oxford University. So we're just going to be finding a little bit more on that and all the other questions you have have around COVID-19. Of course, as time goes, we discover new things. So your questions are welcome at this very moment. You can send WhatsApp notes, you can send in um, WhatsApp calls, you can uh, voice notes as well, SMSs, you can call us in as well with whatever question you have around COVID-19 891 Uh, Professor Bertram C. Fielding, Director of Research Development at the University of the Western Cape, joins us now on the line. Good afternoon, Professor. Professor Fielding, welcome so to the show, and thank you so much for making the time to talk to us.
1: Thank you, and good afternoon to Melo.
0: So um, the vaccine trials, uh, Professor Fielding, I mean, what a big step this is. Is is it something for us to get really excited about? About Why, why were we chosen to be part of these trials?
1: So, so yes, um, we can become excited, but no as well. Um, because remember, this is now the initial test. So, from what I've heard, uh, 2,000 uh, people will be, a um, vaccine will be tested on 2,000 people only. So, it's very much about looking um, about, uh, at the safety of the vaccine and then whether there is some protection. So, it's a very small study. But keep in mind, worldwide, uh, about uh, more than 140 vaccines are in various stages. Okay. So, many, many, many of these will, will fail. And we are hopeful that one, two, maybe
0: three of these would be successful. So, so we can be hopeful, yes. Professor Fielding, what's the link between this particular study and, and cases of people living with HIV and AIDS? There is some, some link there. They keep referring to patients living with HIV and AIDS.
1: Yes, yeah, so remember there was a very big concern about HIV individuals and that they are more susceptible developing severe disease when you compare them to non-HIV positive. So so that is a very important cohort to study. We actually have a paper um, uh, submitted to a manuscript, uh, to a journal, that is under review showing that um, HIV-infected individuals are not necessarily at higher risk when compared to healthy individuals. So in South Africa, with a very high number of HIV individuals um, that would be probably one of the groups that would be targeted for the vaccine. So and is... I'm very concerned when our experts are talking about billions and billions and billions of vaccine doses being needed. I do not agree with that. I think we need enough vaccines to treat those most at risk. So we need to identify those very carefully. Yes, those 55 and older with comorbidities, our healthcare professionals, and yes, maybe the HIV um, um, community. And those are the ones who should really be uh, looking forward to a vaccine, I
0: think. It Is the paper that you're referring to that is currently being under, which is currently under review, almost saying that the, the HIV and AIDS comorbidity is no different to the diabetic comorbidity, for instance? Yes. So so, uh, no,
1: so, so it actually when you compare those numbers mm. to healthy individuals, so mm. individuals with no comorbidities, the death rate and the infection rate is very similar to healthy individuals. Sure. So this is this is a type of a review article. Mm. So we essentially went to the literature. Myself and a PhD student of mine, Palisa Makoti, uh, was just finishing her work, her research on on a previous coronavirus. Um, she went to the literature and from the literature, SARS, MERS, and some of the other coronaviruses. Even though there are very few papers that looked at co-infections between coronaviruses and HIV patients, the death rate and severe cases uh, developing respiratory diseases, very, very low or absent totally.
0: Does this have any relation to the CD4 count of the patient? In other words, does that make any difference or you didn't find that it made a difference at all? So,
1: From the literature, it does not seem to make a difference. What, what seems to be important is the antiretrovirals that they're on. Ah. So the drug therapy that they're on. There, there is some evidence that the HIV somehow primes the immune system and have some of the, the, the cells in the body ready for infection really? to protect slightly. So I think it's a combination of those two. That's interesting. the paper is still under peer review.
0: Well, that's, that's, that's really fascinating. And I mean, when can we anticipate a result of, of, of that uh, journal being published?
1: I actually contacted the student today to find out how we're submitting today. Yes. And she promised because we've now received uh, comments from the reviewers. Yes. So if all
0: goes well, we'll submit by next week and another two or three weeks. That paper hopefully then will be published. Absolutely fantastic to hear. Okay, we are hearing uh, other things that are coming out of people who who seem to have COVID-19. Paralysis seems to be rearing its head. Yes.
1: So so paralysis, fortunately, only four cases reported uh, thus far worldwide. And if you look at the demographics, three of those patients were older than 60. Mm. There was a 28-year-old with comorbidities. And in all four of those, it appears as though it was inflammation. Remember, in, last, in our last discussion, I mentioned that in severe cases, it is due to inflammation, hyperinflammation in the, in the patient. It appears in these cases, these four cases that have been reported, that the inflammation, hyperinflammation, uh, ends up in the spinal cord. And mm-hmm. has pressure on the spinal cord, and that's why um, uh, temporary paralysis has been reported.
0: Hmm. All right. Professor Fielding, if you don't mind, let's just take those calls and also some voice notes. Let's start with the voice notes. Of
1: course. Hello, Pamela. This is Yangos. Yeah. I'd just like to ask, is it true that um, if you get infected by the coronavirus and and you recover, you you won't get reinfected because... Your body has, has has got the antibodies now. Is it is it true? If, if if you get
2: infected once, you you can't uh, get infected a second time because now your body has uh, antibodies. Thank you. Good afternoon, Pamelo. Um, please, can you ask the doctor for me that? why is it the numbers of the recoveries are not being removed from the database because from as far as i know is on the numbers that we always have on every day um we only get to see that you know the numbers are keep going up from the number one and also secondly the death people also the number of dead people that also died are these two part of the numbers so I just want to know the difference between the recoveries and the active cases thank you so much can you please ask the doctor for me Bongani and Evan? thank you
1: good afternoon I would like to ask the professor there is any evidence uh, when you recover from COVID-19 does your body create immune uh, antibodies uh, against the COVID-19 is it likely not to
2: get it again or you can get it uh, many times after you have recovered from the first uh, uh, incident Uh, emmanuel cape town
0: all right so professor fielding it seems to be the 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 main concern of people Mm -hmm. to say uh, once you've had it is it you know are you scot-free now shouldn't you worry anymore your concerns on that your, your response to that
1: so, so we, we had a similar question in our last discussion, yeah. and I'm getting this question more and more. Yeah. And remember, I said, if you look at the other coronaviruses, the, the six other human coronaviruses, yes, you, you remain resistant because of those antibodies for a time, but then the antibodies disappear. And I speculated uh, probably a year, two or three years, and then the and these antibodies would disappear and you could be reinfected again. However, it's very early and we cannot confirm that. I've seen some very small studies and some very concerning studies only this week where where some groups have reported when they've looked at at recovered patients within two weeks to two months those antibodies have disappeared. I would like to see this um, repeated on a a much larger study group and confirmed by other groups as well. If that is true, that would be very concerning concerning, because it then means that my two, two, my one to three years before you can re, can be reinfected which was way too optimistic. However, as I've said, this study is very preliminary, and I would like to see this confirmed on a much, much larger scale before we know. But if I have to speculate, I would speculate that we would probably clear from antibodies and you would be
0: able to be reinfected at a much, much later stage. Okay. So the question around recoveries, um, that they re- they, 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 that number gets removed from the actual cases, your response to that?
1: So remember, if you look at the at
0: the, case, at the numbers that are reported,
1: they would give you a number that is tested. Then they would give you a number that has tested positive. They would give you a number that is still active, so they're still infected. Uh, they would give you the number of those who have recovered. So the body has fourth of the virus, and the virus is no longer found in that body. And then they would give you a death rate, obviously. All of these are cumulative rates. And it is a way of reporting scientifically so that we can have an overall picture of how this disease is progressing.
0: Professor Fielding, there is, I mean, I'm concerned, I may just be out of line here, but I'm concerned that the, the peak seems to be coming very, very fast in, in, in the continent and yet we are opening up spaces. I mean, your, your comments on that.
1: So I've said from day one that this virus will spread. It is a respiratory virus. It will spread. We cannot contain the spread. Remember with our lockdown was not to contain spread and remove the virus from the population. It was to minimize, contain and minimize spread in order for our medical services to become prepared for the, uh, for the numbers in the end. However, I don't think, I still, I'm still maintaining that panic is not needed as yet if you look at this current numbers. Death at the moment, standing on 2,000, just under 300. That is out of more than a million cases, million people tested. 50,000 positives. And remember, you only stand a risk of dying from COVID. If you have severe COVID, which means you would either be in ICU or in critical care. If you look at the number of those individuals in ICU or critical care, it's about 300. Out of all of those people who have tested positive, that very, very small number is in ICU or critical care. So the risk of somebody dying, even though the numbers look scary, is
0: still very, very small. What what have we discovered so far? What are we learning along the way while we're treating this virus? We are seeing
1: that this virus is behaving very similar to the other um, lethal coronaviruses. We are seeing that the biggest concern are those at-risk groups, the over 55s with comorbidities. Um, Younger people with comorbidities can develop severe disease But the death rate in in, in that cohort is much lower. Um, I think it's very heartening that we're seeing some of the the drugs and antivirals that were kind of tested in 2003 with SARS. Some of them are being more accepted in the medical community. So there's that type of hope as well. So I think um, what we're seeing more and more is those with severe disease in ICU and critical care, they have a better chance because we have antiviral that's being tested, we have the steroids that, that's being used. So I think the chances of recovery fully for those individuals are much, much better as well.
0: Professor Fielding, how, how um, confident are you in our methods of screening? Just because so many people fall through the cracks. So the yeah. methods of screening that we currently have is this testing of temperature. Is, is that the... Is that it? Is that the only way that we can guarantee that we'll be able to measure whether somebody is ill or not? Because somebody, so many people are falling through the cracks.
1: Exactly. I'm not a fan of the screening. I understand. For cost purposes, it is probably the easiest to do. But just taking temperature and asking questions is not enough. Mm-hmm. Remember, not all infected individuals have symptoms. That's it. A very big majority is asymptomatic. They can still spread the disease. Um, I've just read studies where they've said, where it's been reported, that even some of those individuals who have no fever, they have other symptoms like diarrhea, for instance. Correct. So just by taking fever, that's not enough, unfortunately. So we have, I think, in my opinion, many, many asymptomatic patients walking out there that we will never identify. Interestingly, this morning on the radio, I heard that the CDC is now claiming that in the USA the actual number of infected is 20 million, not the 2 million that has been confirmed. And I think we will be seeing the same. About 10, 15% of the population in the end would probably have been infected.
0: All right, there's another voice note. Let's just listen to that.
2: Hi, it's Salvin Gamda from Durban. I'd just like to ask the doctor, uh, can the COVID-19 be spread through sweat like going to the gyms and training and uh, using various equipment, can the COVID-19 be spread through uh, human sweat? Thank you,
0: Professor Fielding. Um, my my response would be yes. Your response? So there is, there is no conclusive evidence to
1: prove that. Remember, when we go to gym, yes, you you breathe heavier, yes, you breathe deeper, and remember, this is a respiratory virus. Mm-hmm. So when you breathe deeper. And heavier, the chances of spreading the virus becomes bigger. Mm. You're sweating. You're touching your face. You're touching all over. You're touching the Jimmy Cooper. I think that is a much much bigger risk.
0: Okay, so I, I'm I'm onto something. You see, I could be a doctor. Leanda, <laughs> you calling from PE? Hi. Hello, Leanda. Yeah, yeah, I want to I want to ask the
2: professor. You know. Um, uh, Statistics are, are being conveyed daily. You know, there was a question that was think, is about the issue of the race, What is the 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 the, the race, uh, uh, um, infection? You know, uh, I I am appalled by the fact that they now they don't answer that question. They just say there's so many infections. Why is it so? Because we are interested to know who, who, who I mean, the race, who, 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 who are the parts of the people who are, who are, who are affected L- Lian, are you, you saying? I,
0: hold on, don't leave because I'm not sure if we got the question. Are you saying race?
2: Yeah, in terms of the racial makeup, you know, yeah.
0: The racial yeah, makeup. Are you thinking the that there is a correlation between the people that are getting it and the and the race of the people?
2: Absolutely, yeah. What yes. is
0: your What is your What is your uh, your assessment of that?
2: When I look at the, you know, like I'm in the Nelson Mandela Metro, mm-hmm. you know, uh, there they are things, um I mean, uh, meeting people and uh, other hospitals are uh, uh, are being opened. And it's only it's, um, it's the bulk uh, of uh, our African the black people, you
0: know, who are getting sick.
2: Yeah, we are to
0: that? How, Luanda. Just the They're other day, people sick, were yeah. saying black people are not are not susceptible to this thing. <laughs> Professor, okay, let me not take away the shine, Professor Fielding. Go ahead.
1: So, so as far as I, we know, there is no, there is no um, correlation between race mm-hmm. and, and this COVID. Interestingly, in 2003 with SARS, there was a very big, smear campaign, almost I can call it, against Asian people, mm. saying that Asian people are predisposed to SARS. Same thing happened this time around. And people were merely forgetting that if a virus originates in a particular country, the risk of people in that country to be infected initially is big. So there is no um, clear racial link. In the U.S., a very large population in New York in Harlem was African-American. But when they looked at the factors, it was... Comobilities Trans- and
0: access to healthcare.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And, and access to doctors, co-mobility, and then transport. Mm. You know, taking the subway, taking yeah. the access bus. Access to healthcare, yeah exactly exactly
0: professor fielding thank you so much for making the time to talk to us we'll do it again next week thank you thanks for your time always, always a pleasure pamela thank you so much professor beetram fielding who's a director of research development at the university of the western cape virologist specializing in coronavirus we will keep going with this kind of conversation every single week we'll let you call in we'll let you send in your voice notes as we try and learn more around the coronavirus One so let's go to nandika birkas for the very latest in headlines